0: Hello, this is Tom McSweeney and you're very welcome to this new series of My Maritime Podcast and Programme. Broadcast on all major podcast services and through the community radio stations network around Ireland. Discussing and reporting on this island nation's marine sector, its development, culture, history and traditions. You can contact the programme by email, tommacksweeneypodcast at gmail.com and by phone and text to 0872-555-197. That's TomXSweeneyPodcast at gmail.com and phone 872 555 for the only regular broadcast about Maritime Ireland. On this edition, the State Maritime Research Agency's new Chief Executive outlines his plans for the Marine Institute. The owner and skipper of Ireland's best racing yacht says young people have been key to its success. We'll recall how maritime history relates to modern maritime developments and look at 200 years of the RNLI. Dr. Rick Officer is the new Chief Executive of the Marine Institute, that's the state research agency whose headquarters look out on lovely Galway Bay, on the shoreside at Rinville near Moor. He's returning to the Institute actually, where he has worked before. He comes now from the Atlantic Technological University, where he was Vice President for Research and Innovation. That university was established in April 2022, when three institutes of technology in the west and northwest of Ireland, Galway Mayo, Sligo, and Letterkenny, with over 20,000 students, were merged. Byron's marine environment and industries are under enormous pressures, he says, as he looks forward to embracing these challenges and realising opportunities that the oceans present.
1: The Marine Institute, as you know, it's the scientific agency responsible for, for research uh, and understanding, supporting the sustainable development of, of islands and massive maritime resources. Um, increasingly, what we're seeing is that the demand for those Marine Institute services is expanding because the prospective utilisation of our marine resources is also expanding. Um, there's a big need and opportunity to more centrally involved, the institute in reconciling the um, competing and sometimes conflicting uh, needs of the fishing industry, um, the offshore renewable energy sector, and also the conservation imperatives that apply in the marine environment around protected areas. So I think there's, with that uh, competition, there also comes an opportunity to do things in new ways uh, to to achieve new synergies um that I'd love love to see this institute centrally
0: involved in you summarize very well there three c's rick competition uh, conflict and conservation it's a very challenging time for an institute trying to get a shall we say common ground between all the very different uh, interests in the marine sector
1: indeed it is and I think what's what's a common need there is to have really good, objective-bound uh, data and advice um, that can help those parties and those different perspectives uh, reconcile the differences and and come to a common understanding of the opportunities. So that's really the Marine Institute's role, is to provide that knowledge that will inform stakeholders about the decisions before them, um, inspire them with confidence around some of the decisions that they might make, um, and ultimately uh, to move forward with a measure of sort of collegiality between uh, these sometimes competing imperatives such that the benefits accrue for um, the people of Ireland. and, and indeed, we have a broader responsibility. We're, we're an island off the edge of Europe, and we've an important role to play in ensuring a, a healthy marine environment and resilient marine environment and sustainable utilisation of that environment. Uh, for not just Ireland, but for, for our planet and our uh, fellow European Union citizens.
0: We're talking at a time when the annual report for 2023, even though that's before you've actually taken over, uh, for the for the, for the entire ocean economy comes out from the Marine Institute, and it does point up that it's generating over seven billion euros, which is a huge amount of money, and it has quite a, a an impact. I mean, thirty three thousand five hundred people are in one way or another associated with the marine sector. That's a really big area of activity.
1: It's massive i mean there's the seafood sector alone contributes about one point three billion to Ireland's economy um of that aquaculture is almost two hundred million um and then when you're factoring in the opportunities that exist around the government's plans for um energy security, there's a potential if we properly harness the the wind energy resources that we could supply five times the current national demand through through offshore wind. There's huge economic um, opportunities and imperatives here that will require an enormous amount of um, data, knowledge, um, to navigate towards the achievement of these possibilities.
0: In the public vision of the, the maritime sector and industry, I'd have to be critical of my own um, media profession which doesn't, I think, give the marine uh, often enough the the wide level of coverage it should get. But do you think the public is sufficiently aware, Rick, of this entire value of the marine sector to our island nation?
1: Um, No, Tom, I think there's an opportunity for agencies like the Marine Institute to be um, somewhat more uh, proactive in communicating that value. and maybe that's a collective responsibility for this institute and the other state agencies that we would together uh, articulate what we represent um, and, and the values of the industries that we support. Um, yeah, I think there's a, there's a piece of work that we could do a bit more strongly there.
0: It's, as I said earlier on, a challenging job, although you have a lot of experience from your existing post in the entire you know maritime sector and the research sector. You're looking forward to it obviously.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I can't wait to get stuck in. I, it will be um the 8th of January when I uh, formally start the role. Um I've been of course getting myself up to speed, um meeting the board and meeting the uh, the management team within the institute. Um I did work in the institute before some 18 years ago, but things have moved on enormously in that time. Uh, I'm coming back at a time when there's really strong foundations built by uh, the, the previous chief executive uh, officers, Peter Heffernan and Paul Connolly, and more recently by uh, Patricia Roam and Nick have who've really held the fort over the recent uh, years and months. So I'm really looking forward to, to building those, on those foundations. Uh, there's a fantastic um, suite of data and advice and, and good science that's been generated by the team here. And now's the opportunity to leverage that to good effect. Uh, to benefit uh, the Irish public
0: And finally one point that really struck me in the past few months I was part of um, the educational aspect and the programme for young people and schools getting the message across of the maritime importance to younger people is really really necessary and really essential isn't it?
1: Oh absolutely and Uh, Some of the data sets that the Institute uh, generates and and is a custodian for, they're of direct utility to these students. Um, I'm coming out of higher education, Tom, and I'm seeing uh, there's a really good understanding of the imperatives and the challenges that are before uh, society. So our young people are very savvy about um, and, and rather impatient about the needs around food security, climate change, adaptation, energy security, they're well aware of some of these challenges, Um, so we'll be providing opportunities for these people through employment, um, but but really uh, talking to an audience that's very receptive. I think there's a strong role that the Institute um, must play there in, in promoting that advice. Uh, providing opportunities for our young people to engage uh, in the in the data and also to be part of the journey towards the ocean economy that will support many of them in employment.
0: Dr. Rick Officer, new chief executive at the Marine Institute, which jointly with the socioeconomic Marine Research Unit, that's SEMRU, at the University of Galway, has published Ireland's Ocean Economy Report. This annual publication shows that the marine sector makes a direct economic contribution to Ireland, as measured by gross value added, of 2.85 billion euros. That's quite some money. In a restructuring of the Army's Ranger Wing, the most elite unit of the Defence Forces, a maritime task group will be stationed at the naval base on Hull Bullen Island in Cork Harbour. That's a reflection of increasing concern about marine security in these times of world turbulence and the future in which the protection of maritime resources, including underwater, for the island nation at the extremity of Europe, will be essential. This is in addition to increasing challenges such as the use of shipping to move drugs into and through Ireland. The capture of the cocaine-carrying bulk carrier Matthew, which was a lonely sight when I looked at it over Christmas time, still detained at Marina Point in Cork Harbour, underlines all that. Dr Rick Officer put emphasis in his interview on the importance of young people in the marine sector, and that's also highlighted by the owner and skipper of the most successful racing yacht in Ireland. The Irish Cruiser Racing Association annually chooses the Boat of the Year and this year it's a yacht brought back to life from being a wreck in Greece. It's a half-turner, 33 feet long, which triumphed in top racing series during the 2023 season, including the Sovereign's Cup at Kinsale, the Volvo Regatta in Dunglera and the Autumn League in Cork Harbour. It's Swazzle Bubble, owner and skippered by Cork sailor David Dwyer. Who says that success had a key component? Young sailors crewing the boat, which he bought after it had been abandoned in Greece in twenty twelve.
2: I've been after Swizzle Bubble for three to four years, uh, poaching the owner every year uh, to see if I get her. Um, I like the boat. Uh, she was brought back to life uh, from being uh, basically a wreck over in Greece by Peter Morton in Cowes. He was the guy who. Worked with me on building Mariner's Cove as well. So we had history together and um, I liked what he did with Swazzle Bubbles. She's a classic. She's 1974 out date and he did a great job and she's just tremendous. So luckily I got her last year just after COVID and um, we built a the program then after.
0: That does show that old boats can be good. Let's not forget the fact that they can be restored and they can be triumphant again.
2: Oh, absolutely, Tom. I've been a great follower of quarter tonners. I had a quarter tonner, half tonner years ago. And absolutely, uh, they just need to be updated. Uh, basically, runners and check stays taken off the rig, rig strengthened, and then the appendages looked at. But absolutely, there's a huge opportunity, and these boats are everywhere. They just need to be brought up to date because the hull shape is absolutely near enough. Some of them are up to do in a full circle and the uh, hull shape is absolutely right up to date.
0: You had an extensive campaign having won so much. There was the, the Sovereign's Cup. Then there was uh, Lera, the Volvo. Um, and the Boat of the year, a great result overall. A Royal Cork win. You did very well during SCORA and of course you're now the ICRA and for listeners that's the Irish Cruiser Racing Association Board of the Year. That was an extensive campaign, a lot of planning needed by you as the, the leader, the skipper, the
2: organiser? Um, absolutely, we did a bit of pre-training, pre-training the year before. But uh knew to what extent we had to go to to uh, achieve that. It was our goal throughout. And it was about putting my son James uh, on the helm and near enough skipper. And uh, getting a couple of uh, his buddies together. Oshin McSweeney and Conor Horgan. And brought Johnny McCann with me, my age group. And Brian Hennigan and... We put that group together and worked very hard. Great guys, great sailors, and we all learned to pile together, especially about the boat.
0: You put a lot of emphasis on young sailors.
2: That's why I'm doing it. I'm 60 years of age, and I'd like to pass on what I have. Uh, and Johnny McCann is the same, and uh, we worked very hard at doing that. Uh, the huge debriefs, uh, an example, down in Skull we were all wet Uh, after the FAFSA race we sat on board for I'd say nearly 90 minutes uh, debriefing with the young guys and went through uh, everything and in fairness Tom they took it all in every one of them Well you
0: were very enthusiastic it would be quite clear Dave and that contrasts with the, the ICRA report the survey of their members just completed where they were expressing a bit of disappointment that there wasn't the great turnout there should be for racing.
2: I had a meeting about this or a discussion about this this morning with the Admiral of uh, Royal Cork, Kieran O'Connell. We need to bring the um, young people up and get them back in at this level and show them the interest for, uh, that they can have in, in half-tonners, quarter-tonners. And showed them that the whole thing, all I can say there is when we, my son is a skip sailor, so he's in 49ers at the moment, and he just couldn't get over uh, how technical the half-tonners were. And it was like a new learning curve, and he was very surprised with the whole thing. I think the other guys were as well, Oshin and uh, Connor. So the, the whole thing is a different spectrum of sailing, and we need to introduce as uh, many young people as we can from the dinghies to the sport, and I think then it'll come on again. But there has to be a kind of an invita- invitation series. I know there's a youth sailing in a lot of the clubs. We need to bring it to another level, though.
0: The owner and skipper of Ireland's Boat of the Year, David Dwyer of the Royal Cork Yacht Club in Crosshaven, with a strong message about the importance of youth involvement in the sport of sailing. The outcome of the annual December EU Fisheries Council quota negotiations in Brussels has been described in the fishing industry as acceptable, but with the caveat that there's much more left to do. Increased catching is being allowed in some species, notably mackerel, but fishermen on the south and southeast coast are affected by reductions in bycatches. Inshore fishermen particularly so, their Inshore Fishermen's Association says small boat operators need government help to survive the winter. General reaction in the industry can be summarised as saying that there's a long way to go to regain Ireland's fair share of fishing catches in its own waters. And there's also a battle ongoing at present to stop the EU giving access to Irish waters to Iceland, which has overfished stocks in its own waters and wants to make those up by getting catches off Ireland, history repeats itself—a truism in the marine sphere as elsewhere, and as author Anton O'Callaghan now calls particularly where foreign boats fish
3: in Irish waters. This is the time of the year when looking forward involves resolutions for the future and looking back at times past. The marine sphere has lots of parallels in history to modern times, for instance. The fishing industry is not happy with the number of countries which want access to Irish waters to catch species of fish no longer as prevalent as they used to be in their own waters. Norway and Iceland want more rights in lucrative Irish waters. There was a lot of pressure on Irish waters from foreign fishermen five centuries ago. Back in the late 1500s, Blackrock was a big fishing village at the entrance to the medieval city of Cork well inside even today's Irish fishing limits, less than 20 nautical miles from the mouth of Cork Harbour. In the history of Cork Port, there is a record that a plea was made from local people to the council of Edward VI, who was then King of England and Ireland, local fishermen, supported by tradespeople wanted, the building of a strong bulwark at Black Rock, for the protection of cod, and an end to the practice whereby foreign fishermen can work off Kinsale and Yole, as well as right up to the city of Cork. Some eighty years later, the Cork fishermen were still complaining. The County and City of Cork Remembrancer, published in 1837, has a record from a report from Mr John D., who claimed to have seen in his time that Black Rock was being fished by three or four hundred sail of Spaniards and Frenchmen. Hard to imagine that so many foreign boats could crowd into the upper reaches of Cork Harbour, but that is the record, quoted by the historian and writer Francis Tuckey in The History of Cork Harbour Commissioners, written by author Mary Leland. Blackrock is now a suburban village whose fishing industry has disappeared with time. Another aspect of maritime history that has an association with modern times is that of the submersible named Titan, in which five people aboard died when it exploded Deep underwater off the coast of Canada during a voyage to the Titanic shipwreck last June. Amongst all the reportage of the investigations, there was no specific reference to an unusual aspect of that name, Titan. That was the name for a ship used in a fictional novel called Futility that was published way back in 1898. The ship was portrayed as unsinkable, but in that book's storyline, it sank. After hitting an iceberg in the North Atlantic. Isn't that a rather eerie premonition of the sinking of the also described as unsinkable Titanic in 1912 when it struck an iceberg, and the explosion of the submersible Titan last June on a voyage to see the sunken Titanic?
0: This year is a special one for the RNLI. The lifeboat service marks its 200th year in existence, as Neave Stevenson of the RNLI in Ireland tells us.
4: It's our 200th anniversary. It is two centuries since a man called William Hillary had a vision for a service dedicated to saving lives at sea. He saw it become a reality in Bishopgate's trendy London Tavern on the 4th of March, 1824. Living in Douglas on the Isle of Man, Hillary saw the treacherous nature of the sea firsthand. He witnessed dozens of shipwrecks around the Manx coast and saved many lives with the help of locals. The charity started under a different name, the National Institution for the Preservation of Life from shipwreck. But on the 5th of October 1854, the institution's name was changed to the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, the RNLI, as it is still known today. Throughout the year, the Ornel will be marking its bicentenary with a range of different events. Many of you will be familiar with the Ornali's podcast, 200 Voices, which has been running for a few months now on Countdown. The podcast, broken into bite-sized pieces of a few minutes' duration, features 200 people interviewed from across Ireland, the UK and further afield who all have a particular relationship or view of the RNLI. There are featured rescuers, the rescued, historians, celebrities, the families and the observers, all with a unique perspective on the work of the RNLI. There is the evolution of technology in the RNLI the advances of which have had such an impact on how life-saving is carried out. Moving from sailboats to motorboats and the technological advancements of the Shannon, the lifeboat named after the Irish River and in acknowledgement of the Irish lifeboat volunteers and their history of life-saving. A special nod here to Jimmy Tyrrell from ARCLOW on that one, who campaigned so passionately. And of course, to Peter Eyre, the naval architect of from this island who was himself rescued by lifeboat crew in Loxwilly and who helped design a lifeboat capable of heading into extreme conditions. But our heritage will be key to our 200th. The theme of the anniversary is to celebrate, commemorate and inspire. And throughout the year, we will be doing that in many different ways. We will have an exhibition in the National Maritime Museum in the next few months, which will travel to the north of Ireland later in the year. There will also be an event to link all the lifesavers of the institution. Mostly, we want to shine a light on the lifesavers and their stories. But how do you pick the stories that show the history of the charity over such a long period of time? You simply can't. There are the big rescues and the maritime tragedies, but there is also the lifeboat families, the recognition for the job well done and mostly the years of quiet and faithful service. We will try and do justice to them all and encourage our people to market in their own way. Yes, there will be flags and badges and parties, but most of all, there will be the stories. And as the tagline goes, it's 200 years and counting.
0: A year of celebration and memories for the lifeboat service of the RNLI outlined by Neil Stevenson, Bringing us to time to go ashore from the airways of the sea on my Maritime podcast, the only regular monthly coverage of Maritime Ireland. Sun Production by Justin Marr. We're on all major podcast services and on the community radio station's local network around Ireland and on social media. The program website with lots of maritime reading is at TomXweene Maritime That's Tom Maritime If you've news, views, comment on the maritime sector, I'd like to hear them by email to Tom Podcast at gmail.com. That's Tom X. Podcast at gmail.com or phone and text 0872 555 That's 0872 555 Until next month's program, the usual ways of fair sailing.